So many uh, people admitted they made snap judgments before these other facts came in. But is it that we just instantly say that's what it is based on what we see in that moment and then have to walk stuff back when it turns out we're wrong? Why is that? Why is, do we keep making the same mistake? Because we're, we're desperate to get Trump out of office. <laughs> that's why. Not everybody, though. It's the, I think that that's the reason. I think the press jumps the gun a lot because we just, we have so much circumstantial evidence against this guy that we basically are hoping that, you know, Cohen's got the goods and what have you. But, and so it's wishful thinking. Wow. Wow, was that revealing. That was Joy Behar on The View back in 2019 talking about the Covington Catholic situation. The smirking white kid in a MAGA hat at a Native American, and that blew up, became the biggest story of, uh, well, for a couple of days in January of 2019. The problem is the fallout should have been the bigger story because we found out that it, there was more to it. There was more to it than that, but the media, the corporate press, and blue checkmark verified people on social media all the way trickling down to accounts on Twitter that have zero followers, essentially put these impressionable students out there, dox them, and ruin their lives. I mean, you know, we're, uh, this is 2021, and these kids are still not recovered from the mental trauma that, that in, they endured during that time. So we talk a little bit about that, actually talk a lot about that in this interview. Uh, my guest here today is Steve Oldfield. He is the director of Rush to Judgment, the documentary on the Covington Catholic situation. It happened at the Lincoln Memorial back in 2019 after the March for Life. And the, the students were egged on by the black Hebrew Israelites. And we get into the whole you know, background of it, but for people who remember the story, they were egged on, these students, egged on by the Hebrew Israelites. And then there's Nathan, Nathan Phillips, who is a Native American, who comes over, starts banging a drum, and gets involved. But people just remember the still photo or the quick, like, five-second clip of a smirking Nicholas Sandman uh, because he's got a MAGA hat on, and it confirmed the biases of a lot of people who are progressives in the media and who have that kind of pull. And the problem is there were a lot of virtue signaling that was going on even by Republicans and the Bishop of Covington that came out and said, oh, we're against this, this, this. And then they find out a lot of the story was incorrect. So Steve talks about that in this interview and in the documentary, which is called Rush to Judgment. So make sure you check that out. Check me out on Patreon, by the way, at patreon.com slash Tony Mazur, T-O-N-Y-M-A-Z-U-R. It's an extension of the Check Your Brain podcast here. And I get into talking a lot about these stories. If you subscribe for just five bucks a month, I rant and rave about stories like Covington Catholic and Jesse Smollett and Bubba Wallace on my Patreon. And then I also talk about uh, old fast food restaurants from back in the day, like Rack's Roast Beef and, you know, Bob's Big Boy or The Ground Round. I talk about a lot of that kind of stuff on my podcast. So, so it's a very hodgepodge, but you get about 20 podcasts a week. Four, or 20 podcasts a month, I should say. Four a week. And, uh, yeah, it's a good time. And you get interviews just like this one with Steve Oldfield. And you get them way in advance than when I normally post them in this uh, weekly ver free version here of Check Your Brain. So go ahead and subscribe at patreon.com slash Tony Mazer. Again, 
Just five bucks a month for that many podcasts. Without further ado, the director of Rush to Judgment, the documentary on the saga and the corresponding fallout of the Covington Catholic situation. My guest today is Steve Oldfield. These are kids. I hope their lives aren't ruined over this. And then I felt really guilty that I had somehow been a part of ruining Nick Sandman, which is his name's right. life in one way or another. And I think it just makes everybody look bad. It is like a powder keg example right. of how divided we are. Mm -hmm. And I don't at this point know if there's coming back from how divided we are. And it just made me depressed literally all weekend. Hello, folks. Tony Mazur here. And uh, I, I'm pleased to talk to my next guest here because this is a story that I, when you talk about media bias and when you talk about confirmation bias, the planets aligned here with this story that came out back in January of 2019. And this is the Covington Catholic story that it seemed like anyone who was in the media jumped on immediately. People wanted to make sure they were just spread apart. I am not a racist and this is, I can't believe this is happening. And then I think it was, I believe it was Reason Magazine and Robbie Suave uh, were uh, breaking this and saying, no, 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 wait a second, there's more video, there's more to this story. But the problem is the damage was done with Covington Catholic and these students that were at the Lincoln Memorial for the March for Life back in January of 2019. I have the director of a great documentary, I've heard so much about it, that was being played at uh, Porkfest up in uh, New England, in the New England area, and the director here is Steve Oldfield. And uh, Steve, uh, first of all, thank you for being on here. You are a resident of Covington, so it's not yeah. so it's not like you're from New York City, you're from D.C. and L.A. commenting. You actually have that inside track because you are actually from the area that was major national news back in 2019. That's right, Tony. And and I got to tell you, um, to me, it's it's incredibly ironic and and a little humorous that I would be the one who would devote a year and a half of my life to um, defending the honor of Covington Catholic because I went to the rival high school. <laughs> and if any of you guys have been in that experience in your life, I hated Covington Catholic from the time I was about 12 to about two years ago. Um, I, I was a tennis player as a kid and I didn't get to go to state. I was denied my chance to go to state in tennis because of kids from Covington Catholic. I went to a prom one time with a girl and her best friend's date was a CovCath football player and we almost fought in the parking lot. So I, I hated Covington Catholic as a kid growing up. And it wasn't until about two years ago, they weren't jerks and uh, I was kind of impressed with them and their, and their high school and they asked me to do a video because you know, they knew I was a filmmaker and they they had just adopted something called the Harry Potter system where they break the school up into houses and it's all about leadership and I shot all this video in November of 2018 that I owned and did interviews at the school and I thought this is a great group of guys and then two months later January of 2019 I wake up and Covington Catholic is all over social media with all these people saying how these kids are monsters and racists and horrible human beings. And I said, wait a minute, you know, a couple of years ago, I might have agreed with you, but I know these kids, something has to be wrong here. And that's how this whole thing got started. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that uh, it, not far from your area when you talk about rival high schools, because I think about Moeller versus Xavier down yeah. there in the Cincinnati area. 
And up in the Cleveland area, we or like where I'm at in Akron, we have Archbishop Hoban, St. Vincent, St. Mary, where uh, LeBron James went to school. And so right. you always have those rival high schools. And when you're growing up, you kind of think they're evil until, you know, one of your buddies dates a girl who goes to the other school and then you're introduced and you go, they're really not that bad. And I'm no. a product of Catholic school growing up all throughout my, uh, as we, we didn't call it elementary school or middle school, it was just grade school until we exactly. got to high school. And right. so I went to a Catholic high school for only a year and I went to a good public school the rest of it so I know I knew a lot of the kids who would go to a Catholic high school like that and some of them yeah they are very they're snooty they come from well-to-do areas they may think they're you know what doesn't stink in some ways and eventually as they get older they start getting humbled but you don't get humbled like this by, by the time you're 17, 16, 18, 15 years old, whatever age in high school, these kids had to grow up really quick for a complete misunderstanding. So, uh, you know, like you said, you you are from Covington, you see this, and you have all this footage that happened before then, and this is in the, the big news. First of all, I, I want to get your thoughts on what you first saw, like your first reaction because my, I'll tell you my first reaction when I saw this, I'm like, mm, red flag here. Uh, something is not adding up, that there is yeah. something more to this story than a smirking kid in a red MAGA hat at a Native American. There has to be much more. Is Did you feel that way too? Or were you kind of like, ooh, this doesn't really look good at first? I figured that there had to be something more because um, the, to me, the kid just looked like an awkward high school kid. And I, I taught for 10 years in a private high school near Covington. And um, to me, he just looked like an awkward kid. And and then I, I saw the video version. And I said, well, what would I do if somebody were beating a drum that close to my face? Um, and it's funny, we include Joe Rogan and a bunch of other podcasters in our documentary. And Joe says, there's no way I would have just stood there. I probably would have punched him. And, you know, a lot of a lot of you know, the guy in me was like, what the heck, if somebody were doing that an inch from my face, how would I react? And 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 I think that the key is for all of our listeners is to really consider some what is you're being shown a viral picture or a video and somebody's telling you how to think about it or how to react about it. And and you have to step back and say, wait a minute, are, is this really true? Is this really what I'm seeing? Is there more to that story? And, and the original um, Twitter feed that sent this out said, you know, a terrible racist display or some something like that in Trump's America. And, and it turns out it was a fake Twitter account. We'll never know who sent that tweet because the government um, started investigating and then decided, ah, we're not going to worry about that. But um, it showed a picture of, a, of an actress from from South America. It wasn't even a real person. And they it pretended to be some teacher from from Northern California. The whole thing was fake to begin with. And um, and but so many people wanted to believe that this kid had to be racist because he happened to be wearing a Make America Great hat and he was standing against a Native American guy. You're a young guy. Some of the listeners may remember and you may remember um, there was a great public service announcement with a Native American in a single tear going mm-hmm. down his face. It was for Keep America Beautiful. It was probably the most powerful public service announcement of the 1970s. And for people of a certain age like me, um, when you saw Nathan Phillips, that's what went into your mind. You know, there's this poor Native American who's there for the Indigenous People's March. Was he being disrespected by this kid in the mega hat? And a lot of people just wanted to believe the absolute worst about 
um, Nick Sandman. And we now know, of course, none of that was true. I want to get into more of the the fallout, the blowback, and the uh, confirmed confirmation bias that was happening in the media in just a little bit. But I, let's go to the beginning of this, because the reason that confirmation bias happened is because you saw the Native American, you saw the, the white high school students, he's wearing a MAGA hat, and it's at a pro-life march in Washington, D.C. So that checked every box for a lot of people. But in reality, what ended up happening is that these kids were on this trip for March for Life because they do go to a Catholic high school. Talk about the lead up to what ended up being postered all over the Internet with that video. Why were they there and how did they get egged on? They got egged on by the black Hebrew Israelites. But how did this whole situation culminate? Well, you know, and and the other thing to remember in all of this, um, kids from this area, typically are up for 36 hours straight. They, they take a bus to Washington, D.C. all night long. They get out of the bus. They go to a mass, like a Catholic church service. Then they march for several hours in the cold in January. And then they're basically told, you've got an hour and a half before we're going to take the bus home, go out and have some fun, CDC, meet back at the Lincoln Memorial. That's where the bus is going to pick you up. Kids do that for field trips Every day of the year in Washington, D.C., that's a standard place to pick people up is at the Lincoln Memorial. So these kids, including Nick Sandman, Nick went over and said, I want to go see the White House. So they walked over to the White House and right by the White House was a gift shop. And in that gift shop, the most popular selling item for the past six years has been a Make America Great hat. People from England, from 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 all over the world buy up these Make America Great hats. And all these kids said, hey, let's let's buy these hats. Um, Nick says that it wasn't because he's some blind follower of the president. He he supports what the president's um, views were on abortion because they're similar to his. But he thought, hey, I'll buy a hat. He wasn't thinking I'm going to stick it to somebody or whatever. But so these kids buy these hats. Then they come back to the Lincoln Memorial and they're waiting for their bus. And who starts approaching them but a group of Hebrew Israelites. And they, if you've ever run across any of them, they can be pretty loud and pretty um, say the meanest thing that comes to their head. Oh, I've they seen saw it. all I, these white And I've seen it in, I've been to the Liberty Bell in, in Philadelphia and been through Times Square. They're around, and for people who are not from the area, and that's the thing about the, these kids is you just – I always tell people, it's like, just ignore them. When you're on a subway in New York and you, there's a homeless person that's screaming, just ignore it. Just put your headphones in. They're not going to assault you. They're just going to yell at you. You just ignore them. Yeah, and and that's what the kids from Covington Catholic had all been told. These kids were there because they get service hours for doing good deeds, and this was considered you know, a good deed to go to the March for Life. But they were told before they left. Do not engage. You're going to see women wearing giant vagina hats um, walking around the street. They're going to yell and curse at you. You might see, um, you know, a lot of other protester groups. Do not engage. Do not engage. You are representing Covenant Catholic. So that was ingrained in them. So they didn't engage with the Hebrew Israelites. But what they did do to try to drown out the hate that was being spewed at them CovCath, like a lot of all-boys schools, has a ton of cheers that they do. So one of the kids even took his shirt off and said, let's do a cheer. So they were doing these cheers 
to try to drown out the Hebrew Israelites. Over that, Nathan Phillips and this Native American group, who happened to also be in Washington for a, a different march, it was the Indigenous People's March, they see this and they decide we're going to get right in the middle of it. And they had their cameras and um, Nathan Phillips walks right into that group. And, uh, and, and if you watch all the video online or if you watch our documentary, you'll see he had a clear shot to walk up to the top of the Lincoln Memorial and pay his respects to Abraham Lincoln. Um, but he didn't. He, he veered over and walked right into the kids. And later he changed that narrative to say that he was blocked by the kids, that he just wanted to see Abe Lincoln and they wouldn't let him. You can see by the video that clearly wasn't the case. And so Nathan Phillips, talk a little bit about him, because you mentioned about the PSA with the Native American and the tear. And like you said, we were made out to believe we society was made out to believe that he's this noble person. But then when we start finding out, oh, he's a Vietnam veteran, so that's even worse. And and then now he can't get his face in front of more cameras (laughs) at that point. And then all of a sudden, his story ends up collapsing over time. Talk about who Nathan Phillips was, because who he was told he was at the beginning is not who he actually was. Exactly. And and not too far away from your part of the world. He's from uh, Michigan, near the Detroit area. Um, A few years before that, he had had an encounter with some college students, and that that ended up um, as a TV story as well, and he was charging racism against those students. So this wasn't his first rodeo as far as being in front of the press saying he'd been mistreated. And then when you find out on top of everything, he's a Vietnam veteran. Well, the deal is he served in the Marines in the Vietnam era, but never went to Vietnam. He was a refrigerator mechanic and I think <laughs> Nebraska. Right. But there there is video of him saying, oh, in my Vietnam times, it was really rough. And when I came back, people spit on me. Well, he was probably saying when I came back from Nebraska. But the implication is when I came back from serving in Vietnam. So did he out and out lie? But did he but did he did he play up the fact that he was, you know, a a Vietnam vet? When it's there's a big difference between you know dodging bullets and napalm and working on refrigerators in Nebraska, and uh, and that was the part that really unnerved a lot of people was that finding this out and uh, and the press just ran with it you know a simple Google search would have would have raised some red flags about him as well as you know and within within five hours of this going viral there was an hour and a half video that was released on YouTube that if you bothered to watch it showed that a lot of his story was falling apart, that all of these media outlets in, New- in Washington and New York, they didn't bother to look at anything. They just went with the story. It re- and that's what ended up happening is that he ends up getting involved in this in this little – it's not even like – it's the chanting and it's the – you know, the egging on of uh, with the black Hebrew Israelites over here, then he gets in the middle of it, and it just so happens. There, I mean, there are certain images that you think about, and that image is ingrained in every one of us, no matter how we feel about the story, whether, you know, we still believe that these kids were entitled, rich kids that were harassing a Native American, or you go, oh, wait, I found out there's more information about it. We still have the visual of Nick Sandman wearing the red hat, smirking in front of a Native American. And I think that image had been burned in people's heads. And immediately, without thinking two things about it, it it just seemed everybody, 
everybody, especially in my line of work, not me, uh, and I say that as somebody because I'm very skeptical whenever I see any kind of news uh, that comes out. I'm like, okay, let's wait until a little bit more information comes out. But it seemed everybody wanted to jump on this because, and not just that, it was not just Democrats, it wasn't just media, but I've seen Republicans come out because they wanted to be out there and say, we stand against racism in all forms yeah. and we, uh, we condemn this. You don't even know the full story yet. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, our producer, who deserves a ton of credit because he's the one who actually watched that hour and a half video on that first day, Ryan Anderson. Ryan's about 12 years younger than I am, a much hipper person. And uh, he taught me a term that very first day. Um, and that term is virtue signaling. And that's exactly what you're yep. talking about. Look how virtuous I am. Of course, I don't support racism. And I'm against any disrespecting of a Native American who also happens to be a Vietnam vet. Megan McCain tweeted out against um, Nick Sandman. But the, but the interesting thing is, even the March for Life itself put out a statement that said, the March for Life has always been about peace. And we are against this. And and his own bishop, the boy's own bishop, and Nick Sandman had met the Bishop of Covington. Um, and the bishop apparently was getting pressure from, from higher up in the church to make a statement. So he felt pressured to say, we're going to investigate and we might do anything, including expulsion of the kid. Now, later, the bishop... Um, did an investigation and, and, and exonerated Nick and the other kids from CuffCap. But just that statement on that first day that even the bishop was questioning this, I think that also gave other people the license to run with it and say, well, surely there must be something terrible that happened if they're investigating. And it was, um, it was like you said, um, the stars aligned. I say it was the perfect storm, right? From every angle, these kids were caught in the eye of a hurricane of hate. And um, it just blew around for a, a scary length of time. And what we saw in 2020 with when the Black Lives Matter uh, protests ended up starting to turn into riots in a lot of ways, you were hearing media members say, no, these were mostly peaceful protests that are happening as there is a fire going on behind them in a building. They said it was mostly peaceful. So it's a lot of gaslighting that was happening. So a lot of media, they like to push a certain narrative. And when they saw that narrative of white students, pro-life march, um, you know, Washington, D.C., red MAGA hat, Trump, this, 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 and this. Joy Behar, you probably, you, I know you saw this, and I'm sure it's in the documentary, uh, said that the reason that we jump to conclusions is we want Trump out of office. And that's yeah. what Reza Aslan, what a lot of these blue check yeah. journalists, and yeah. I use that term loosely, that are, are in the corporate press, wanted this to be true. It wasn't just that they were reporting as, uh, the original story. They wanted this story to be true because it confirms their own bias that exactly. all Trump supporters, all white people, this, this, and this, and it started checking every box for them. So they yep. said, yep. let's pounce. Let's yeah. pounce on this story. And what was even more disgusting, other than the fact that that is that they got it completely wrong, but they got it completely wrong with teenagers, with yes. impressionable teenagers, yes. Yes. and they yes. know that when they put a story out like that, it's 
it's getting the peanut gallery involved and that and so talk a little bit about what happened after that not just yeah. the media situation and CNN and Washington Post getting the story wrong but because they put that narrative out there it absolutely uh, put that virtue signal out there for yes. the uh, people to go out on Reddit and everywhere else to start doxing these students and families yeah well and you and you, you made some like a, a, a dozen excellent points all at once and I want to rewind just a little bit and talk about the narrative that was being created and my favorite edit in the entire documentary and this documentary took me months and months we started with you know literally hundreds of hours of footage and whittled it down to four and then we finally got it down to an hour and a half my favorite edit in the whole doc is you see this attractive um person from cnn this you know anchor woman who's there and she has this boo-boo face on her face, like, oh, this is so terrible. And she says in her um, report, she says that um, that these Covenant Catholic kids um, were being rude to four African-American young men preaching about the Bible and depression. Is how she described the Hebrew Israelites who were saying things we can't even say on the radio to these kids, the most awful horrible stuff, curse words, racist language. They said at one point that these white people are going to harvest black people's organs. I mean, you name it, they said the most awful stuff. So I had an edit where I had her saying, you know, preaching about oppression. And then we we cut to them saying, you know, calling them Uncle Tom and, and calling them uh, all kinds of terrible things because there was one black kid with Covenant Catholic who they focused in on to really bully him. And we showed just how that narrative was created. And then Kathy Griffin, you know, the same people, same person who got in trouble for holding up the severed head of uh, what would appear to be the severed head of Donald Trump. She asked for the kids to be doxxed. And um, most of the time, the local TV station in Akron will tell you or any TV station in the country, it's kind of 101 of being journalism you don't show the faces of kids without their parents permission Mm -mm. and nick sandman's face and all these other kids face was were all over the media everywhere and um and they literally got the one kid who before this before nick was identified they had gone online somehow and googled covenant catholic and another boy who kind of looks like nick had been featured in an article that he wanted to be a chef and he was pictured with a chef on like an internship day or something that a newspaper had done an article on. Well, his name was Michael Hodge. Michael Hodge wasn't even in DC because his brother was getting married. Um, but that he, he was doxxed. His mother's phone number was put out uh, along with other things. They're driving to the wedding and she picks up the phone. This woman she's never met is screaming at her and saying, you should have aborted your son. He's a horrible human being. Um, because of what he did. He wasn't even in D.C. It was the wrong kid. They got 7,000 angry messages on Twitter while they were at the wedding. They came home and there was a a sheriff's deputy in their parking lot and they said, we have kind of credible evidence that your house might be attacked tonight. So we're going to stay here and guard your house because of all the social media stuff that's going on. And he wasn't even Nick Sandman, wasn't even the kid in the video. It really was disgusting. And and uh, talk about Bo, who was the black student. Talk a yeah. little bit about, more about yeah. him because his that story is really, interesting. That was really, really heartbreaking. Um, and he wasn't really in the media at all, but we got him to do an interview with us and he's in the documentary. 
Bo was a kid like many from Northern Kentucky who dream of playing Covington Catholic football. Um, he, he wasn't Catholic. His parents actually moved their house and their business so they could be closer to Covcath and he could go to the school. He loved every minute of it, but he was there with these Hebrew Israelites. And they, they said to him, they said, these white people are going to harvest your organs. You know, you're an uncle Tom. How could you be here at the school? And he was a freshman in high school, 13 or 14 years old at the time, getting attacked by these adults. And, um, and he was so traumatized by the whole thing. And then he goes back to school and they're telling everybody, hey, you got to wear your ID badge because if the building gets bombed, we're going to need to identify your body. I mean, that was a real thing. They were there. They were super concerned. And some kids were joking to him about your organs. And um, he ended up sitting out the rest of the year and and um, transferring schools. And for the record, he's doing great now. I talked to his parents a little while ago, but um, but imagine the trauma of that. And uh, and and he again, just because he happened to be standing there waiting for his bus, attacked by adults, and he wasn't even wearing a mega hat. He just happened to be a black kid around a bunch of white kids, and that that brought the ire of the Hebrew Israelites. Yeah, it's like it's like with Candace Owens or some of the black conservatives that get the brunt yes. of, uh, oh, you're an Uncle Tom, you're a you're a coon, you're this and that, and we're like, yeah. well, come on, and and they just and white people, white people doing that. Because they feel that they're the the people who are doxing the students feel that no 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 I'm on the right side so I can attack the the black student with vulgarities and racial slurs yeah. because I'm on the right side of history and yeah. and what this came down to is they're on the wrong side of history they were all on yeah. the wrong side of history and so I want to talk about when this story happened it was basically over a weekend because the march for life was I believe what was it it was right. a Friday right. It was a Friday, yeah, and then and then the nineteenth that Saturday is when it blew up all over the place, and um, NBC Nightly News and CNN did a ton of things, and then it was all over social media that Saturday and Sunday. Sunday was when Nick finally came out and said, "Look, I'm the kid. It's not Michael Hodge, and here's what really happened." So then, yeah, Sunday, I, I remember I was actually go coming back from church one time. Uh, or I was coming back from church and I was out to breakfast and I was looking at the story. I'm like, this just does, this isn't adding up. This isn't, there's gotta be a lot more to the story and people are taking this at face value. And by Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we started seeing the full video and understanding there is a lot more to this. Well, what ends up yeah. happening, just like with a lot of these situations, is that it goes away. It goes away and it's not discussed anymore. And I, you know, this is a different story, but this is how the media doesn't learn. Because what happened about a week later was the Jussie Smollett hoax. Is yep. that Jussie Smollett says, uh, you know, two white people in Chicago at two o'clock in the morning with red MAGA hats uh, poured bleach on me and tried to uh, lynch me as I was trying to get food. And they said, this is MAGA country. And Again, the media and blue check marks and these people did not learn from this situation that just happened a week ago. That exactly. when you hear one side of the story and then we just take it at face value, oh, Empire actor Jesse Smollett was lynched in, in Chicago and MAGA country, then all of a sudden it starts coming out that he paid people to, uh, to assault him, to rough him up a little bit, that the week prior he had a ransom note that he put together that featured the N-word and a couple of things that he actually wrote and all this other stuff so then when the fallout happens gone poof 
no apologies, goes away. So with this Covington situation, this is a story of the media not learning from their mistakes before. And what's the problem now is to continue making those same mistakes. Exactly. And and the, the and you talk about the fallout, you know, the school had to invest in a giant new security system because they still aren't sure that at some point some crazy person isn't going to, to attack the school. Um, Nick had to undergo therapy and he's had a really tough time um, adjusting and even, you know, had followed him to college. When he got to college, he has a girlfriend in college and he said not a day goes by that somebody doesn't say to her, what are you doing with that racist? And he said, I wish people would just get to know me instead of what the media said about me. And um, this is going to follow him his whole life. You know, Bo's life was changed forever. Um, it, it really it did irreparable harm. And and then you're right. After the 24 hour or 48 hour news cycle, they move on to the next thing and they don't care about who's left and to, to pick up the pieces. And talk a little bit about because I mentioned about the the media people that that you can still find tweets and posts about uh, racist Covington Catholic students and everything, but others deleted this slowly stealth edited their pieces or deleted their tweets. But talk about the people who did apologize that were wrong at the beginning, which includes the Covington Bishop, but other people who had to come out and yeah, say, that's uh, a good I question. reacted too soon. That's a good question. Megan McCain came back and, and issued an apology. And then his name just flew out of my head. Um, he has like 5 million views on um, on YouTube for everything he does. And he has the real quick edits. Philip DeFranco, do you know that name? Uh, yeah, I've, heard, I've heard the name, yeah. He's a, he's a big YouTuber. He issued an apology. Um, and there were, there were a number of people who did. The Washington Post... Um, settled a lawsuit with with Nick, but they part of the lawsuit was they didn't have to admit any um, wrongdoing. Same with CNN's settlement. Um, but there were a few who came out. Oh, and the best of all was, uh, and this is something your 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 um, listeners might want to Google and see. There's there's a great article in of all places, The Atlantic, which takes a pretty leftist view on a lot of things. But the article is called "I Failed the Covington Catholic Test." And it's an it's an article by a woman named Julie Irwin Zimmerman. And she talks about how she even had kids in Catholic high school at the time, but she jumped to conclusions and rushed to judgment herself. And then she realized how wrong she was. And she wrote an incredibly eloquent piece on this whole rushing to judgment and being, you know, tr taking news from strangers and trusting the word of strangers over actually trying to investigate something yourself. The thing that she said, and I think this is really important, Tony, for people to think about, and especially people who love to just get online and, and retweet and repost. When you retweet and repost something, you're pretty much saying, I agree with what they're saying, or I think what they're saying is correct. And that was the other problem with this. Once the Washington Post went with it and CNN all these reputable news agencies stopped doing any research themselves and just retweeted and reposted wrong information over and over and over. And one thing we know about Twitter is it is a very left-wing echo chamber. There are certain right-wing voices on there. I mean, some of them have since been banned, including the, pre the former president. But that it's a tw Twitter echo chamber where a lot of blue checkmark journalists, verified journalists, will 
just only follow each other. So if one of them is talking about it, it means everybody's talking about it. But there is a bubble because there's a large percentage of the country. I think only, I I think 4% of Americans like actively use Twitter and the rest of us, you know, live our lives. But the problem is those are the people who are making the news. They're reporting the news, but in, in reality, it made the news. And this whole situation blew up in their faces. Some apologized, some didn't, and some had to apologize through settlements. And, uh, you know, obviously we don't know the dollar figure and everything, but it was a big-time lawsuit that uh, CNN had to deal with, as well as the Washington Post with Nick Sandman and Covington Catholic. Yeah, and, and you know, I will say this, and I can't go into any detail. I've gotten to know Nick and his attorney and his father pretty well in all this. And I will say there's another documentary about the subject. They didn't get Nick. You know, we have the exclusive with Nick in our documentary and uh, no amount of money will take care of and make right how this kid was wronged and what he has had to deal with personally and how this has affected him and his entire family. And I, and I know some people out there are rolling their eyes and saying, Oh yeah, right. But, um, I can't, I, I, I'm old enough to be Nick's dad. And if that were my kid, my heart would just be broken, um, for, for what he's endured. And, uh, I, I just can't say enough about it. It was one of the situations like Richard Jewell back in the nineties is that it was again, another confirmation bias, a, a, a large, a chubby mustachioed security guy is getting blamed for placing bombs at the 96 Olympics in Atlanta then when it was wrong but but before it was wrong it was on you know 24 hour news i mean we finally had 24 hour news by the mid 90s on three different channels and then uh, all the late night comedians <laughs> richard jules back in the news and he's doing this and it, it ruined his life I mean, he ended up yeah. dying maybe about 10 years later and they uh, made a great movie about it but yeah. it, they don't realize that the significance of this uh, of the media coverage on what it happened on uh, for these students. I mean, again, you're not dealing with a hardened 35, 40 year old person where sticks and stones may break my bones. You're dealing with 17 year olds who have their own classmates telling them to commit suicide. And what do you think that you can't just brush that off, especially when your your brain is not fully functioned yet. Your your uh, prefrontal cortex is still developing. And if you're in high school, it's almost another 10 years of development at that point. That's going to have a psychological impact impact and it certainly has two and a half years later yeah exactly right and that and that's what's so horrible about all this is that the bottom line is they were kids they were kids who did nothing we have a a great guy named neil augenstein who's a colleague of yours he's a radio reporter in washington dc and he says the bottom line nothing happened no punches were thrown there wasn't even a a racial slur or an insult or there were there was nothing these two people stood in front of each other for like two and a half minutes and then it ended so how was that the police weren't called you know how was that a news story and that's the that's the thing about twitter that's so insidious is just because something's blowing up on twitter doesn't mean it's news you know, and, and it's one thing to say, we leave you with our with our action news story tonight with a shot of a kitten, um, you know, coming up to a, a deer in, in, in your backyard. And and there, they're, you know, they're, there's this nice moment between two animals or maybe there's a squirrel that's um, water skiing or something. And maybe that was a viral video. And you put that on the news for 10 seconds and it's done. 
that's a lot different than a viral video that's fake news that's going to ruin somebody's life. I, I guess one of the last things I could ask you, and then we'll we'll promote the documentary again where we can find it, is right. the uh, the ultimate takeaway that we can have from a situation like this is to sit back and wait for the details to come out without rushing to judgment, as what the uh, title of the documentary is called. The problem is we still don't. We continue, we as society, and especially in my business, radio is like low man on the totem pole, but when you're somebody who is a verified member of on social media, uh, you work for Slate, or you work for Vox, or MSNBC, or New York, even worse, the New York Times, Washington Post, and CNN, but the rushing to judgment that ended up happening with this case still continues. Like I mentioned, Jesse Smollett just a week or two later after the Covington thing. Then we had Bubba Wallace, the NASCAR driver, says, I found a noose hanging in my garage. Now, again, I sat there and I thought, this is Covington Catholic all over again. Because let's say somebody did place a noose there. Let's wait for the investigation to come out that... But people didn't want to do it. They said, oh, black driver, noose, racism, NASCAR's racist, and then NASCAR had to put out their statement, and, you know, we're against racism, we're against this and that. So what ends up happening? It was a pull-down rope from a garage at a NASCAR race, just like I have one at home, at my garage, and you probably have one too. And it wasn't a noose. Oh, oh, well, they said the knot may have been a little larger than you would. uh, Again, that was more of that cognitive dissonance and the confirmation bias. But ultimately, it was a non-story that became a story because of a narrative and the confirmation bias. So ultimately, when it comes down to it, we should know better, but we don't. How do we we get to that point where we finally just say, look, let's just wait until more details come out? Well, um, that is one reason they, that was another reason for the lawsuits here. You know, they're hoping that, and there, there are many, New York Times is still on the chopping block with this and may, may you know, and, and CBS and a lot of other journalists, and they're hoping that that may make a difference. But this, the sad reality is, hasn't really yet, right? So I think, I think it comes to news consumers to sit back and say, wait a minute, I'm not going to, I'm not going to click on this garbage. I'm not going to, I'm not going to repost it. I'm not going to retweet it. And if suddenly some crazy thing you see only gets a thousand reposts or retweets instead of 2 million, maybe then they'll step back and say, oh, well, this isn't getting, the term is clickbait. That's another word I, mm-hmm. I learned in making this documentary. They, they, they get money the more people repost and retweet stuff. So maybe when it's not paying off for them financially, um, maybe that's what it'll take, but it's going to take news consumers to have the, have the, um, you know, the fortitude to say, I'm not going to repost or retweet this. I'm not going to comment on it till I know what happens. And um, and that's pie in the sky sounding, but I think that's really the only way it's going to change. That's it's like that on Twitter where you talk about the Twitter ratio, where something gets more negative comments than positive. And but we see this with retweets and likes on Twitter is that it would say, for example, Steve Oldfield hates women, then gets a hundred thousand retweets, and then the update after the blowback is, well, okay, maybe he doesn't hate women, but he once broke up with a girl in high school and she cried. <laughs> and, you go, and and it gets uh, 52 retweets. And yeah. that's the problem is the follow-up never gets 
the traction that the original story does. I don't know what it's going to take in order for that follow-up to overtake the original story. Uh, I mean, uh, there was another hoax I remember at Oberlin College, not far from me, was uh, there's clan hoods that are spotted all across campus, and there was a noose. And then they find out that the one clan hood that they thought was actually a girl who was leaving another guy's dorm room after a one-night stand, and she didn't want to be seen in the same clothes that she had on the night before, so she had a, had a sheet, from uh, uh, like a bed sheet, that she put on herself to get back to her dorm. But oh, somebody wow. said, oh, I saw it was a Klan hood, and then all of a sudden we have to have racial sensitivity training. And again, the follow-up with that is it wasn't a Klan hood, it was a bed sheet. Gets no traction, the story goes away. Right. Yeah, and, and, that's, and I guess that's, you know, that's, people are just going to have to really sit, take a breath. You know, that's the other thing. People just get so hyped up just breathe, just sit back and say, wait a minute. And, um, and I think that's, that's the only way we can incur. And the other important thing is people like you, you know, and this is going to be a bad analogy with, with Nathan Phillips, but beating the drum about it. You know, the fact that you're out there beating the drum is important. And I, I hats off to you for, um, for encouraging your listeners to, to take a breath. I appreciate that, Steve, and I appreciate you putting out this documentary, and it's Thank called you. Rush to Judgment by uh, yep. Steve Oldfield is the director. He's been with us, and uh, Steve, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, th- this is a story that just, it, it graded on me when it happened. It continues to grade on me, and it's now become the new glasses that I put on. When we talk about rose-colored glasses, this is my Covington-colored glasses that when cool. I think of any type of story where immediately it gets the you know it gets the hackles on the back of your neck up, and you're thinking, oh well, race is involved, and uh, you know pro-life versus pro-choice, this and that, and it starts becoming a story. I put the Covington glasses on, and I say, I'm just going to sit back for a day, wait to see what happens, and you know I I'm not Columbo here. But, sure. But I, exactly. But you have to sit back and wait for more details to come out. And if more people did that, we wouldn't have been in a situation. Nick Sandman would be a, a normal college student. Instead, he's going to therapy, and his classmates have had PTSD ever since then, because total strangers were calling their family or emailing them or texting them to kill themselves. It's just disgusting. Yeah, you're right. Well, and and I will tell you, um, we really appreciate the support of. If you've ever heard of Freedom Fest and the Anthem Film Festival, um, they're going to be showing our film in two weeks in South Dakota. And, um, you know, Sundance and a lot of other film festivals wouldn't touch it because in their minds we made a Native American look bad or they didn't want to admit that some liberal people jumped to conclusions. And, and it wasn't even just liberal people, but, you know, that the, they didn't want to go against the narrative with um, a mega hat. So we've been rejected by a ton of festivals, but we're really supportive and, and appreciative to Anthem and Freedom Fest for standing behind us. That's just fantastic. Steve, thanks again for doing this, and thank you for doing the documentary. And I, I can't wait to share this interview with people. And I, I hope it not just this interview, but the documentary starts waking people up and that they are able to use their own um, you know, cognitive skills when they see a story like this and say, maybe I won't rush to judgment too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And rushtojudgmentdocumentary.com, and there's a link on there. You can watch a trailer or watch the movie. It's online, and we really appreciate your support.